Greetings and welcome, everyone. Thank you all for coming to celebrate with our family, the Cobb family, and our church community as Joseph Blair Cobb and Caitlin Renee Titley are united in the holy covenant of marriage. And on behalf of the Cobb and the Titley families, I want to extend a heartfelt thank you for your presence and your support here tonight. Your friendship, your care throughout the years, your sacrifice and love service towards our families and towards Joe and Katie. All of this has contributed to make possible this joyous day. Joe and Katie, as you well know, weddings are always cause for great celebration in our community, but your union holds special significance for Regina and me, for in just a few months we'll celebrate 25 wonderful years together. So there's a certain continuity in the timing of your marriage that brings us a special joy. Both of you were born here in our community, two years apart, almost to the day, January 5th and 6th. We've lived and labored, laughed and cried alongside one another's families. And as the years progressed, God gently began to put his love in your hearts for the other. And while that's a beautiful story in itself, Time won't allow me to tell it all tonight. Joseph, as I've watched you mature, I saw an integrity of character develop in you. Growing love in your heart for God began to express itself in a tenderness and care, especially to your younger siblings. Though you experienced some troubled seas during a season in your life, yet your decisions led you to relationships with Brother Tim and others that inspired you and they called you higher. Now your care and burden extends to many others around you. You're a steadfast friend to many, a great support to me and to Brother Tim, and I want to express to you here the confidence and faith I feel as you take this young woman beside you as your wife. Katie, I remember the day you were born as well as if it were a week ago. Sister Amanda was one of the midwives there, and she tells us that you're the first of the births that she's attended to now get married. The midwives handed you to me all bundled up against the January cold, and I remember us going out and sitting by the fire and getting acquainted. Caitlin, your name is the Irish form of Catherine, which means pure, and that's exactly what you've been to us as a daughter all these years, pure, genuine upright and virtuous. You had your struggles, as all teens do, but you left little doubt as to the ultimate decision that you'd made with your life. You've also faced physical affliction along your way, and yet we've never heard you complain. You've given yourself to serve us and others, and you now follow in your mother's footsteps, often lending your heart and voice and song in our community gatherings. Gazing at your newborn face that January morning, I felt the reality that such a day as this would likely come. And while we're so excited for you today, yet I must own the truth of the poet Yeats' words to his own child lying in cradle. I sigh that kiss you, for I must own that I shall miss you when you are grown. And Katie will indeed miss your presence in our home both your sweet friendship and your zany humor. 
But in truth, it's an honor to give you away to this sweet fellow beside you. And we're excited to see you two beginning life together. Joe and Katie, since our own marriage in 1998, the world's seen unprecedented changes and in inventions. For one, I believe that back then, gasoline cost less than a dollar a gallon. And the rare individual who had a cell phone carried it around in what appeared to be a small suitcase. <laughs> Nonetheless, GPS, internet, and email were all in the beginning stages of modifying how we interacted with others and the world around us. And before long, smartphones, social media, and virtual reality would further affect radical changes. And while I appreciate and employ the conveniences of a, a few of these technologies, many cultural commentators from Sociologists to psychologists note that the effects on our society haven't all been positive. Thus, many now bemoan the ever-increasing loss of close-knit relationships and cooperation amongst neighbors. Add to all this concern, the, digital, the concern about digital addictions, shortened attention spans, loss of literacy, and rampant consumerism, and it all reinforces what scores of experts and commentators and studies maintain that society today is more radically individualistic, fragmented, and lonely than ever before. Now, despite such sobering forecasts, a recent series of fascinating studies literally got me looking up. Now, you know I don't normally read psychological journals, but a reference elsewhere sufficiently piqued my curiosity. Time will only allow me the briefest summary of these studies, Yet their findings propose an antidote to what the authors noted were widening divisions and polarization in society. And what was the remedy they proffered? I'll quote, looking up at the starry expanse of the night sky or viewing a solar eclipse, even gazing out across the blue vastness of the ocean or simply standing amidst a towering grove of trees. Yet how could such activities possibly provide an antidote to societal divisions and polarization? Researchers found that subjects engaging in the type of activities I just described felt a sense of awe arise in their hearts. And this feeling of awe, they claimed, was a key to cooperation and unity. Now, if there ever was an overused word in our culture, it would probably be the word awesome. And yet these studies use the word in its true original sense as describing a deep emotional response to being in the presence of something vaster than the self, a feeling that transcends current frames of reference, thus requiring a new framework to accommodate what is being perceived. These studies also directly linked awe with humility. As demonstrated in various tests, subjects placed in an awe-inducing setting displayed marked changes in their behavior towards others. And I'll quote, they demonstrated a decreased sense of entitlement and an increased humility and compassion, along with enhanced inclinations to share, care, and assist others. Experiencing awe even affected subjects' language and communication. They more often use words associated with deeper social connections, such as we, care, love, and thanks. As one psychologist summarized all this research, 
The awesome natural world makes our petty egos seem smaller in comparison and makes our connection to other people loom larger. Gazing at the heavens may help us make a better world on earth. Now, Joe and Katie, as I read these studies, I couldn't help but consider it all from a scriptural perspective. For the psalmist wrote that the heavens declare the glory of God. And though he inhabits eternity, he draws near to the humble. And it would seem to be no coincidence then that God's great promise to Abraham, the father of the faithful, took place as he gazed up at the innumerable starry host. In fact, I believe the subjects of the studies I referenced, whether they fully recognized it or not, must have experienced a brush with the transformative power of the eternal and divine. And according to these researchers, this kind of awe promotes altruism. That is, it promotes an unselfish devotion to the welfare of others. Now, Joe and Katie, if there was ever a relationship that required an increased humility, compassion, and an unselfish devotion to the welfare of another, it would be marriage. And real life also has a way of testing the depth and quality of the awe and humility that we hold in our hearts for our spouse and for God. But in such times of testing, don't forget that the real antidote to life's dilemmas and struggles will be discovered by turning outward. And just as seagoing vessels from the beginning of time have taken their bearings from those eternal constellations above, so in your marriage you can do no better than to look upward for guidance along your way. Jesus himself is called the bright morning star. And if you set your compass by his example, your journey will be a success. Now, Joe and Katie, in the same year that Regina and I were married, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of our church community. You know that our fellowship's beginnings were in an unlikely slum in New York City. Yet in that place where the city lights obscured the heavens above, a light began to shine down in that little chapel. One of the banners that hung there encouraged those gathered, dare to love in a city of hate. And for those that dared, a little cooperative began to form amidst a culture where individualism, competition, and self-protection were considered the only way to live. Yet amongst this little band of believers, a new paradigm was established, the self-sacrificing love of Jesus, in which the least would be the greatest, and those who laid down their lives for others would truly live. A great dream began to grow in their hearts, a dream that a people from diverse backgrounds, ethnicities, and countries could live in unity and harmony, nurtured in a culture that sustained a life worth living for each succeeding generation. And what these giants of faith and hope undertook, they brought to pass, and they made possible the life we now enjoy. So the 25th anniversary of our church community was a special and profound time for all of us, and particularly for your mother and me, Katie, as we'd just begun our own journey of marriage. Well, at that gathering, I remember that Brother Blair stood and he spoke to those of us in the second generation, and he said, the first 25 years is our gift to you. The next 25 depend on you. Now, those next 25 years are almost past. 
and how often those words have come back to me through the years as I've striven, however imperfectly, to do my part in carrying this vision forward. And I believe I speak for many from my generation when I say that if we've had any success, it's been through following the example of the first generation. So now, Joe and Katie, within your first year of marriage, our fellowship will mark 50 years, the biblical year of Jubilee. And we rejoice to feel the fires of the dream now burning in your hearts also. It's inspiring and it's encouraging to see you and so many other young couples in our community united in the purpose of advancing God's kingdom of love here on earth. Now, Brother Blair shared something else many years ago that's never left me, and I want to emphasize it to you today. With each new step the first generation undertook, he said, it always seemed to come to the place of complete impossibility and great risk. Whether thus the constant temptation was to shrink back or to stop. But at such times, they would still feel an awesome and transcendent love calling them forward. And so he said, over and over again, we had to make ourselves vulnerable to bring each new thing to pass. And then, when the breakthrough finally came, it was accompanied with tears of gratitude and thanksgiving, for they treasured the miracle of God's grace that truly accomplished it. Joe and Katie, I emphasize this because I believe that the type of risk and vulnerability described above are essential elements of true love. In the words of C.S. Lewis, to love at all is to be vulnerable. And while many fear the risks of loving, others insist that there's far greater risk in not loving. Thus the lines which declare, it's the heart afraid of breaking that never learns to dance. It's the dream afraid of waking that never takes the chance. It's the one who won't be taken who cannot seem to give. And the soul afraid of dying that never learns to live. Now, Joe and Katie, I know you've both experienced the risks and the rewards of love on one level already. But marriage will surely require a greater vulnerability than you've ever known before. Yet as the song earlier said, if you believe in love, a love that never fails, then even when you do, the power of love will see you through. Katie, your mother wrote that song for the two of you on this special occasion. And she and I can say today that it's not just a song. We have lived the reality of those words and we believe in love. And we've never regretted our choice to live for love, for the God who is love has proven unfailing time and again in our lives, and he will for the two of you as well. The dangers of the journey are real, yet the rewards are worth every risk. Now, before we proceed to the vows, I've asked them to sing one more song that I feel expresses my hope for the two of you and my prayer for your entire generation. May you never lose your awe of God, of one another, or your gratitude for the incredible life that he's given you together. Wonder. You get your 
Katie, I want to close with the last few lines from our 25th anniversary celebration. Speaking for those of the first generation, Brother Blair said, if we've learned anything along our portion of this great journey, we've learned that when your dreams start becoming a reality, they'll cost you something. No, they'll cost you everything, everything but your dreams. 
You cannot imagine that you'll end the journey the same person that began it. And that's why you must do better than your best to make sure your dream is more than good before you start. Some unchanging azimuth in your heart must tell you that your dream is life itself. And now, as you two embark on your portion of this great journey, may God's love shine as an ever-fixed mark.